Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Thursday, April 28th, it's the call-up, and we have a continuation of this Top 100 Prospect Breakdown. Aram Layton joined by Jack McMullen, who just called one of the quickest, maybe one of the quickest minor league games you've ever experienced, right? Yeah, it was the quickest minor league game I've ever experienced. Pitch clock. It was two, it was two hours, five minutes long, Aram. It's ridiculous. Uh, last Saturday, Indy and Columbus played a game that was two hours, six minutes long. Indy and Iowa just played a game that was two hours, five minutes long. The average duration of a game is down, I think, close to half an hour this year compared to last year with this pitch clock. I love this pitch clock, dude. I don't know how much AAA ball you've been watching, but I mean, these games are flying and you don't run into, I just brought it up on the Just Baseball show. You don't run into the Sawamora issue where a guy takes like 60 to 70 seconds between pitches. I, I mean, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is like, again, if you have to step off and, and take a second for a big pitch, I get it. Uh, but there's the guys that just work incredibly slow. I think it's good uh, to, to see the pace of play. I was talking about this with one of my good friends who will come on the podcast at some point. Uh, catcher in the Tigers organization, Michael Rothenberg, and super smart guy, played at Duke, and just he's super intrigued by all of everything that goes into the new rules and all of those things. And I think he's going to write something for us on just baseball, just kind of his firsthand account of it all. And he likes a lot of it. There's some things that he feels like are a little bit of an inconvenience, like the amount of times you can step off the rubber they want to like yeah. crack down. I think that's a little bit much. You can have the it pitch is. clock and and figure out how you're going to enforce it. It's a little bit complicated, but. I, I like it because one, these minor league games can drag the hell on sometimes. And two, I think it's a good experiment to see what happens at the big league level, because all of the other things I think where I wash enforcing a pitch clock is really the only way that you're going to get the, the pace of play up a little bit, but I know we're going to already have some issues at the major league level with pitchers fighting back and getting mad and all of this and that. But ultimately it probably is better for the game and you're experiencing it right now. You remember when you were a young kid and, um, you know, you might have you might have been different, but like your mom wanted to take you clothes shopping and you were like, no, I like my own clothes. I don't I don't want this new I don't want this new like shirt. I don't want these new shoes. I like the old one. Like that's what you're going to run into with Major League Baseball of players. I, I you already see it. Um, and like the CBA is an entirely different beast. Like that has to do with their financial well-being, like how yeah. they can take care of their great, great grandchildren. But um you know, it, the beauty of the pitch clock is I haven't seen a single guy um, have outings entirely get away from them because you do have a second to take a deep breath and shrug your shoulders and decompress. You have 20 seconds. 20 seconds is enough time. 
And you get the ball, you take a deep breath, you can do a quick circle around the mound, and then you get on the rubber. You have 20 seconds from the time that the ball gets back to the pitcher to him coming to the set position or starting the wind. It's a pretty long time. It's a long time. It's more than enough time. It's more than enough time, dude. It's pretty freaking great. And um, yeah, I, I think the guys that are going to have the most issues with it are the ones that, you know, can't mentally hit the reset button as quickly as others. Um, And I understand that, but you also got to learn how to do it quicker. And to be totally honest, sports losing fans because games are three and a half hours. I know a lot of people are saying like, Oh, they don't watch the games. Like real baseball fans are gone because, because of that stuff. You know what? I want the fake baseball fans. I want as many people as possible to watch the sport. Exactly. Exactly. And, and also you want, you want people to watch through the whole games. You you want people to feel like they're not losing their whole day, uh, checking into a ball game. And especially if it's a minor league game. And I think the pace of play is really going to captivate them. I will say one other point though, Jack, that I think is interesting. And again, this is why I'm really excited to get um, Mike Rothenberg on here is he seems to feel like, or at least at the high level where he's playing, hitters are a lot more aggressive this year. They're realizing how hard it is to just freaking hit and they're jumping on the first pitch they see. And he was saying that you're seeing more hitters go after the first pitch than ever before. I don't know if you can anecdotally speak to that, uh, but I think that's also helping the pace of play as well. Anecdotally, I can. Um, I can't speak to it with any data, with any like data points or or numbers or anything, but um, anecdotally, yes, I see a lot of guys hunting the first pitch. I see a lot of guys hunting fastballs early in counts because like we talk about everybody's breaking stuff is getting so good. It's getting too good. And when you get ahead in the count, they're going to turn to the breaking stuff and it's not going to be strikes. So you're either going to chase or you're going to, you know, hang around in that bats and give the pitcher more chances to beat you. So I see a lot of guys doing damage on the first pitch. I see a lot of guys falling quickly behind nothing in two, um, which I love. I, the speed of the game, I'm telling you, like there were some times and like total transparency high A last year, there were some games I just wanted to stop calling because it was so brutal, dude. We would go 20 to 25 minutes without a ball in play because somebody can't throw a strike and you've got mound visits and you've got this guy taking a minute and you've got this guy rocking back and forth before he throws a pitch every time. And it was just unbearable. And that's not the sport that I fell in love with. The speed that this game is working at right now is the sport that I fell in love with because the ball's being put in play, even when it's not, you know, it's, it's clean strikeouts and the level of baseball is just higher because it's quicker. It's like, okay, let's speed this thing up and and they get moving. And, and baseball cyclical like that. And I think we're seeing a lot of pitchers lean heavier on the fastball and which results in more strikes. Uh, so it's been fun to watch. And it's funny starting off with our, with our top prospects here uh, that we're going now, what 60 to 51. 60 to 51, a guy that's pretty aggressive at the plate. Uh, he, he will get his swings in and he will ambush fastballs. And this is somebody that is a really unique case in the psychology of prospect rankings. Michael Harris, uh, Michael Harris of the Braves organization outfielder. I'm a huge fan of his. He's just turned 21 years old, but Michael Harris is one of those prospects that was pitted against himself a little bit because I think he's in a great spot here. Number 60 overall prospect. He had a great year in high a last year. I would say good year in high a last year. It wasn't great or awesome or off the charts. And for that reason, I feel like he lost a little bit of helium and it was all helium that drummed up from what was a ridiculously good uh, display at the alternate training site. A lot of hype within the Braves organization. And he became that like trendy breakout candidate. And as a result, he didn't fully break out and people were like, ooh, let's drop Michael Harris. But Michael Harris was great as a 20-year-old in high A, 294, 364, 436 slash line, 8% walk rate, 18% K rate, only seven home runs, swipe 27 bags, and he plays good defense. That's a great year. If it weren't for all the hype and all of the shooting him up list before he even did anything yet, I feel like people would have been talking about Michael Harris's season a little bit differently. So if Michael Harris, you know, if if some people were talking about him in an underwhelming fashion in 2021, I think that alleviated some of the pressure of being that guy that performed so well at the alternate site in 2020. He's had a great start to the 2022 season. He's in double A as a 21 year old. He's over three years younger than the league average hitter at that point. And he's hitting 320 with a 920 OPS. I mean, this guy like it granted only 17 games, but 
what I love about Michael Harris is it feels like he does everything well. What stands out to you is great that Michael Harris does right now. Anything? I would say just the field of hit, if anything, but he field does everything hit. well. So that, that means he's a pure hitter, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I agree that there's not really a hole in his game. And this was a guy that second round out of high school, a lot of people liked him. A lot of scouts, teams, evaluators liked him as a pitcher. Uh, and so he never really went all in on, on the offensive side of things until he was drafted. Uh, so for him to be, you know, kind of out punching his age or his size, I guess I would say for a 21 year old, just turned 21, as you said, in double a, it's a testament to the hit tool, but there's a lot of belief that, you know, he can tap into more power. And that's something I always talk about with the two-way guys. Uh, Alec Burleson really clued me into that, who was off to a ridiculous start for the Cardinals, by the way, Burleson was a two-way player at East Carolina. And once he stopped pitching, he was like, yeah, I could really put on that that upper body strength that it's new that, strength. Yeah, it's it's strength that you can't put on when you're pitching because it kind of limits your fluidity and you don't want to jeopardize your arm health by going bench press or whatever right, the heck right. you're going to do. Right. Uh, so it's really, really impressive so far what we've seen from him, even though he's an above average runner. Like you said, he doesn't do anything incredibly well. He gets the most out of all of his above average tools. He's a 55 runner, but he's got seven stolen bases in 17 games. He had 27 last year. Uh, he's he's the power is the one thing that I'm interested to see how that develops. But it's easy above average potential power. He's already hit two home runs in 17 games. I don't think 20 home runs is out of the question with the hit tool. And again. You got the hit tool that's bordering on plus. I'm a huge fan of Michael Harris. He might not be an MVP candidate, but he's going to be an above average regular with great defense or at least good defense and a great field to hit and burgeoning power. Yeah. The the home run numbers. What do you think the 50th percentile outcome is? Do you think it's like 15? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like 15 Um, because again, he's going to hit so much that like those, those guys that hit enough, those doubles turn into homers. They'll get out, you know, in the right environment. When he plays in Cincinnati, he's going to sneak some out. When he plays in cores, he's going to sneak some out. And all of a sudden yeah. you get to 15. Uh, but I do think there's 25 in there. Like he's put up some exit velos of 107, 108. It's in there. And I always look at these guys as you figure out the hit tool. Now you just try to leverage those hitters counts, try to do damage a bit more and see how it goes. But it, it's hard not to have this guy where he is, right? Like I love where he's at in this ranking because you can almost bet on the hit tool at this point and you can bet on the athleticism and it's just how high is the ceiling and there's enough to dream on there, I think. Yeah. And you know, I I find it interesting just looking at some other publications, top 100, we technically have them on the lower side, but it's a pretty solid ballpark with everywhere. So baseball America has them as a top 50 guy, 46th overall. So baseball America has them at 46 MLB pipelines got him at 65. So we're five spots higher but then baseball prospectus has him at 58. So we're right in the same ballpark. Baseball America sees something in like the stardom possibility that I think we don't. Um, I'm with you. I don't know if he's an all-star. I think he's an everyday outfielder. And, and, and a pretty solid one that does all, all of those things pretty well. And again, I mean, that's, that's extremely valuable. And he's someone that's going to rise. By the midseason update, he will rise because – Again, the proximity thing, right? So even if he doesn't show us the 25 home run power yet, if he's hitting 310 in double A, now with 50 games under his belt, he's going to rise on our midseason update. So it's funny that Michael Harris, when you look at Christian Pache, you look at Drew Waters and Michael Harris, it's very feasible that that Michael Harris could end up being the best outfielder of the bunch. And uh, Drew Waters has really fizzled. Pache's traded. and, And Harris is the one guy that they don't want to move in for good reason. Yeah, I, I think I think it's not just plausible. I think it's likely yeah. that Harris is the best of the three. Although I will say Pache is looking pretty good. Uh, I, like he seems like he's starting to settle in a little bit to who he is. And he's never going to be a star, but he's going to play great defense and, uh, you know, run into some baseballs here and there. But I agree. I think Harris is going to be the the is going to have the best career of the bunch and has the highest floor without a doubt. Uh, check yeah. in at 59 is a raise prospect. And this is another one that I, w- I would be interested for you to pull up and kind of see where the rest of the industry has him. Because I think Taj Bradley is a guy that you're going to see almost like scattered all over in terms of perspectives on who he is and where he ranks. Taj Bradley was lights out last season. I mean, the right-hander just rode his fastball to dominance through the lower levels. He's 6'2", 190, was a fifth round pick in 2018. Uh, and the Rays just, they found another guy who, gets the most out of his fastball and has the, the complimentary stuff 
that continues to develop. Uh, the fastball is 96 to 98. He'll touch 99. Uh, the slider is, is pretty nasty. I, I have almost a plus on that. And the changeup seems to be developing and has a chance to be a pretty good pitch. I just love the athleticism on the mound. Uh, the fastball gives him a really strong baseline. But this isn't one of those guys that I am – like, he, I could see him rising. I could see him falling. I'm not set and convicted uh, with Taj Bradley. I'm always going to be transparent on it. I like him in this spot, but I could see him going either way at this point. Like, it's, it's a very – he's right at that, at that fork in the road. And it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to, you know, handle the, the promotions. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how he gets acclimated to each level. And he's at double A right now. He's with Montgomery. Um, so that might be interesting. We're going to see the Montgomery Biscuits yeah. in Biloxi at the end of May. So hopefully we run into Taj there. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned he's 21 years old. He's like four years younger than the average pitcher at the double A level. So, um, you know, same deal as Harris. They are outperforming their expectations in the early goings of their professional career. And they've got tons of time to grow. Bradley so far this year through four starts as a three, five ERA. So he's thrown 18 innings across those four starts, you know, again, very small sample size. He's punched out 19. He's only walked three guys in 18 innings. So there we go with the command, but 16 hits against him in 18 innings. It's a whip over one after a guy with a whip at 0.9 last year. So, you know, he was probably a little bit too good for low a and high a he accumulated most of those video game numbers at low a, Mm -hmm. um, and and we'll see how he gets acclimated to, uh, to double a, but just looking around the industry right now. And I'm just plucking these from baseball reference. They do a great job of, you know, consolidating all the prospect rankings and hopefully just baseball is the fourth tab, right? I was going to say, I dream of the day where just baseball gets on there, uh, uh, you know, and we, we can have our own little spot on there. Sooner rather than later, um, he is not ranked inside the baseball prospectus top 100. So we we beat baseball prospectus to the punch. Baseball America's got him at 58. So one spot higher oh, than wow. we do at 59. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Right. But uh, MLB Pipeline Mayo has him at 74. Okay. So a little bit farther down the top 100. So, you know, I think I think us and Baseball America are functioning very similarly. It's funny, too, because um, Jeff Ponce is, is a guy I always love to bounce stuff off of. And uh, and he's a guy, Baseball America. And usually when I see something stray way off, that's usually who I'll check with and be like, okay, our lists are pretty similar, but I'm way different than you guys on this one. Like, am I nuts? And usually I'll be like, no, no, that's fair. I tried to push for that guy, but I got overruled or whatever. So it, it's funny how that works. But there's some there's some lists that are always going to be a little bit more similar and some that are going to be different. Fangraphs, I don't even think is on Baseball Reference yet either, right? I, no, we got we to beat Fangraphs. That's priority one. Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that one, but that'll be cool. That'll be fun. Uh, but to, to speak to Taj Bradley, the, the reason why he's going to give up a lot of hits, right. Is he, he's, he leans so heavily on the fastball. Um, and you know, the fastball is really good. It's a plus pitch. It could be better than plus, but when you're not locating that up, cause it's high spin riding action, guys are going to hit it. And you know, when you are a fastball dominant pitcher, you're going to be susceptible to a lot of home runs and a lot of loud contact. And, you know, that's why I'm really interested to see how the secondaries work for Bradley. Uh, right now he's, he's at the double a level succeeding to a degree, but that contact could catch up to him a little bit. And again, as hitters start to get more acclimated as the season goes on, they're going to get more data and say, okay, Bradley's going to go fastball up, just see it up, you know, anything else, just shut it down. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to, to be able to get out as the league starts to acclimate to him a little bit, because I think he had that anonymity working in his favor before, uh, but yeah. talking to some hitters, they said fastball plays up really well when it's elevated, it was really tough to hit. But by the second time around, we said, okay, let's lay off it. And if he's not locating cold strikes at the top of the zone, now he's got his work cut out for him a little bit. So the thing is he's extremely young. He's in the right organization and he's got the right natural tools uh, at 21 years old in one month, uh, what do you think? What direction do you think Bradley's going to go here in double A? You think he's going to continue on this path or you think he could slow down a little bit? I, so I was actually going to flip the question on to you. I was going to say, um, you know, let's forecast for the midseason. If he were to climb, what's he doing well? If he were to drop, what's he doing poorly? You know what I mean? So like if he were to climb, if he were to move from 59 inside the top 50, is it continuing to keep this walks per nine under two? Is it, you know, striking out more guys? He's right around nine Ks per nine through his first four starts. He was around 10 and a half last year in his breakout season. So 
I, I feel like if he climbs into the top 50, it's, you know, you know, ERA still down, but getting a lot of strikeouts, getting that strikeout per nine number back to 10 ish and keeping that walks per nine number low. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And then what about if he falls? I think a big a big way for him to fall is is if that changeup doesn't develop at all. That changeup doesn't need to be great. It just needs to be okay. And, and that's the only thing I always emphasize with guys with fastballs like that is the changeup does not need to be elite. It just needs to be good or okay. And that's enough for just to keep hitters honest because the fastball will make that changeup play up a little bit. So it's really on the secondaries for me. I believe in the the command. I think the com- mechanics are pretty smooth and clean because he's such a good athlete and. I mean, the, the results are there. So I think it's really that development of the changeup. And I'm, I'm interested to see that. But he did flash some good changeups the last start I watched against Pensacola. So I'm very eager to see, you know, how that continues to develop. What do you think of the Rays' ability to turn athletes on the mound into very solid, smooth mechanic guys? Like, Boz, he was a little crazy when he was in Pittsburgh. And then they simplified it. And now he looks like he's working in slow motion. If he worked at full speed, he could throw 109 miles an hour. A hundred percent. I mean, it, that's what's absolutely amazing. I, I would even put Shane McClanahan in that in that bucket as well. McClanahan, right? same thing. Freak athlete. Tommy John is freshman year at South Florida. And then he comes back and he's got these smooth mechanics and he just uses turn to the best of his ability. And, and not just that. Also, guys that aren't that athletic on the bump and like getting the most out of them, like a Tommy Romero uh, that is now at the big league level, a 15th round Juco pick, you know, so uh, they do both really well. And that's why I, I'm Again, I don't try to put I try to look at the players, but you have to factor in who they're who they're with when it comes yeah. to, you know, the the confidence that you have in their development. And that kind of goes right into 58 because 58 is a guy I know you're going to love uh, your left handed pitching bias over here. Uh, Kyle Harrison, 58 San Francisco Giants. This is one of my favorite young pitchers in the minor leagues. Uh, his fastball, again, another guy whose fastball just has a ridiculous profile. It helps that it's 94 to 96, but it is an extremely difficult pitch to pick up, has a ton of life, and he's naturally deceptive. What also really works well for him is that his changeup is already plus. So you have the fastball changeup combination that are that's really difficult. And if it's not plus, it's 55 presently. And then he has a damn good slider too. His stuff is ridiculous. I, I think Kyle Harrison could be one of the best left-handed pitching prospects in the game, especially as Nick Lodolo graduates. Yes. So we, we were talking about Kyle Harrison when we did the top 10 giants prospects and uh, Harrison, what I love about him is you mentioned the, the low release high spin on the fastball, the way the changeup works off the fastball from that same arm slot is insane. You have no idea what's coming. Like, Rob Friedman's going to have a blast when he gets up. Pitching Ninja is going to have a blast putting overlays of the fastball and the changeup together because they're going to look like the same pitch for the first 50 feet out of his hand, and then they're going to tail off from each other. One's going to rise, one's going to drop. That is perfect. And you talk about pitchability. This guy's a lefty pitchability guy with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. It's your crafty lefty, but he throws 95. And the built-in deception is what I love too, because it really emphasizes that tunneling that you talk about, right? Like you don't know if it's the fastball or the changeup until, you know, the ball it's is too late on in, in, until your barrel is in the zone. And you know who it reminds me of, right? Is, you know, I'm going to like, you know who I'm going to comp this to, right? I feel like, I feel like you're going to guess. Um, Come on. No. Trevor Rogers. Is it Rogers? Yeah. Yeah. Trevor. But Rogers is more overhand. He's like, he's a little bit, so the similarity is, I mean, Rogers a little bit high three quarters, but what, what, what I like in terms of their similarities is they hide the ball. Well, it's a, it's a lively fastball and it's a changeup that looks like the fastball out of the hand until it's too late. Like Rogers never got a plus grade on his changeup and it's just played up insanely well because hitters are so geared up for the fastball that it looks like. I mean, the change of books, just like the fastball out of the hand and then boom, and you know, it dives off the, the actual mechanics don't look as similar, but the, the desired result and what they're able to generate off of the fastball Very. change of combination, I think is going to be something that really helps Harrison. I also think Harrison's got a better breaking ball already. So that's the yeah. crazy part is, as Rogers is still experimenting with that slider, Harrison's slider already flashes plus. So you have the fastball change up that work off each other in, in the most desirable way possible. And then you have a slider that already is looking like it could be a plus pitch. How can you not be just 
amped up about Kyle Harrison. Yeah. So he, I, I mean, he's in high a right now, if I'm not mistaken, he's in Eugene on the best roster ever assembled. Yes. Um, so there we go. He's a Eugene Emerald, but Harrison, he, he's a high a guy. He's 20 years old. Um, my thing is, you know, they're obviously going to try and sign Rodon to an extension if he stays healthy like this and pitches like this. And I think Rodon, I, he's going to want to stay in San Francisco if he, if he continues to pitch like this. So you're looking at a rotation in 2023 or 2024 that fronts Rodon, Logan Webb, and Kyle Harrison. Those are two lefties and a righty that have three entirely different looks. And that's going to be a ridiculous trio up top. That's just unfair. And by the way, have you seen what Kyle Harrison's doing thus far in high A? I have not. 21 Ks in 11 innings, three walks. No way. 21 Ks in 11 innings. No way. It, What's the Ks per nine or the, or the K rate? Yeah, so the Ks per nine would be 17. <laughs> <laughs> or the K rate would be 46%. <laughs> He's striking out every other hitter. Like that, that, that is insane because mind you third round pick in 2020 and he's still 20 years old and the talent pool in, in that high a league is very high i know that the emeralds are hoarding some of it uh but it's a, it's a good league this is not him carving up low a guys this is high a hitters that he is just taking care of and again it really helps with the high spin fastball over 2400 rpms it just has that life to it kyle harrison i think is going to be could be the top left-handed pitching prospect in baseball uh, by our mid-season update, without a doubt. Yeah, and it's not crazy to say whatsoever. No, and, and I'm really – what I'm more interested in is is his timeline because you talk about like 2023, 2024, when's it going to be? It's more likely going to be end of 2023, early 2024, but who knows? Like if, if he's carving guys up like this, the command continues to get better. That was the one question. Now the command looks good out of the gate early. He could he could end up ascending real quick if if it's this easy for him. So I'm very interested in the timeline. Yeah, I think he and whoever rakes with Eugene is heading up to double A real quick. Um, and, and we'll see. The beauty of Harrison being 20 years old is you can take it step by step. If he decides to flatten out a little bit in in Richmond, then like keep him in Richmond. Why not? Right? Yeah. He's 20. Yeah. He's oh no, he's back on a normal. He's back on a normal timeline again. Oh God, <laughs> darn! <laughs> that was like what I was saying with Gore, right? It's like Gore. Gore had the the disaster season, and oh no, he's debuting at 23. <laughs> it's just wild how that works, dude. He looks so good, by the way. Insane, absolutely insane. Although two starts against the Reds, so I'm gonna be that guy. No, I'm kidding. Okay, he looks, yeah, he looks fine phenomenal. if you're that guy. The, no, the first no, he one, looked, he, he had a shutout start against the Reds, and then the next one, he punched out 10. No, he looks phenomenal, and it's it's so awesome to see. Um, but speaking of guys that debut at 23, someone that should have debuted at 23 <laughs> and comes in at number 57, Jose Miranda. Uh, I, I have him as third base slash outfield slash first base slash wherever the hell they can stick him because his bat is going to be – the card here, right? Uh, yeah. He's second base as well, whatever, anywhere. But dude, you've seen this guy now a little bit in person. Uh, yeah. He's really freaking good. He rakes. He was somebody that I feel like when I put out the top 100 or sorry, the top 10 prospects for the twins, people were like very surprised at how confident I was in Jose Miranda. Like they were excited about Miranda, but they're like, really? Like, you think he's, he's already big league ready now. Like you're not worried that he came out of nowhere. And I was like, he didn't come out of nowhere. He was a second round pick out of high school, had a good start to his pro career, then struggled to get acclimated in high a, and that struggle to get acclimated in high a was an 89 WRC plus. It was a low batting average, but it was also a low strikeout rate. It was just an aggressive approach and a hitter that just was struggling to get acclimated. Then no 2020 season, and he doesn't get a chance to, to really correct that. And then he emerges in 2021 and balls out uh, stronger, more physical, and a new-looked swing. That isn't really coming out of nowhere for me. And real quick before I kick it to you, Jack, I just want to go over his numbers from last year between AA and AAA. 344, yeah. 401, 572, 30 home runs, 62 extra base hits a 12% K rate, 7% walk rate, a 158 WRC plus. I will say this and I stand by it. Jose Miranda was the best hitter in the minor leagues last year. Yeah, he was. Um, 
who else could contend with that? The three guys that finished in Omaha with Prado Melendez. Well, exactly. Exactly. That's it. Um, yeah, I, I think Miranda, I, I just saw him for a week. They played Indy in St. Paul. I saw him and Royce Lewis, and I was pretty impressed with Royce Lewis, to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about that. Yep. Um, I, I was impressed with Royce, and I think that he can come up and be that third middle infielder for Minnesota whenever they want him. Jose Miranda is better than Miguel Sano right now. I promise you that. Without a doubt. He's better than Sano right now. Uh, he's better than Trevor Larnick. I saw Larnick for a couple of games, and that dude looked dejected. His body language was terrible, and then he got the call up. So, okay. Um, go get Jose Miranda. Like, that's my thing about, about a guy like that. All he's doing is being the leadoff guy in AAA and putting bat on ball and putting together quality contact left and right. He had a slow start because it was 20 degrees. I was going to say, like, the season. People were looking at the fan graphs page. We're all guilty of this. Like this isn't, yes. this isn't me saying anything about anybody. Cause I I'm guilty of this too. And like, I'll shoot you a text. Cause I look at Miranda. I'm like, Oh, 92 WRC plus, but you forget that the, the first eight games he was actually playing in, in freezing temperatures. They got snowed out twice in the first two weeks. I mean, that, that is ball in St. Paul. And I understand that the big league clubs in Minnesota, but I mean, dude, you got to cut these guys some human slack. It's hard to play baseball when it snows outside that morning. Yeah. And I'll take the, the sample size from the entire season uh, last year over, you know, what, what, what is a slow start, but he's already gotten going now and he's already hit two home runs and he looks good. What, what really stands out to me about Miranda is he's six two two fifteen is what he's listed at. He's probably closer to two twenty, right. As, as we always talk about the listing weights or, uh, probably north of 220. He he looks like a stockier guy. He doesn't look like the freakiest athlete on the field, but no, he, he's, he, not. he's more athletic than his frame, though. Oh, for sure. And but and you see it in the box. So what I see with Miranda is like, OK, how did he break out? Well, first of all, he was one of the most aggressive hitters in the minor leagues in the early going in 2018, 2019. He's still aggressive. Like, don't get it twisted. He's aggressive, but he's toned it down a lot. And I I think that's something that's helped him a lot, you know, picking the right spots, but also putting on 15 pounds of muscle uh, and and not having that really compromise his mobility and his fluidity. He's got crazy pop, Jack. I mean, he's already put up a 113 mile per hour home run this year. Uh, He has put up 114s, 115s, which again is elite and elite at the big league level. It would be, that would put him in the top 2%. At the major league level, this is a dude that has game-changing pop and a really good feel to hit. It's really approach-oriented, just not being too aggressive, but the pop is undoubtedly there. We saw him hit three home runs in one game in his AAA call-up, and he can really put bat on ball. I'm going to bet on those kinds of guys any day of the week. I don't care about the defense, and even though he's not great defensively, he can play first, he can play second, he can play third in a pinch. He's not going to be good at the latter two but he'd be more than passable at first. And I think he can handle second base. I think the, the idea of what a second baseman in his second baseman is, has changed a little bit in major league baseball. A little bit. Max Muncy's playing second Correct. base. Correct. A lot of bit. Um, I, Jose Miranda can hold down second base. If Mike Moustakis and Max Muncy are playing second base occasionally, I'm, I'm good with that. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, Miranda, what I like about his swing is it looks long. Eye test says it's a long looping swing. This guy is it's not. Is, it's, no, it, it, and it's not short. Like it's not a compact swing. He doesn't, you know, turn and have his hands on his belly button. But like he he gets the most out of that swing. And it's not a swing that he's gonna, you know, not be able to get to pitches on the inside part of the zone. This guy, when, when you talk feel for the barrel, this guy had feel for the barrel galore last year. Oh my gosh, and. Look, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I really I, I don't want people to be like, oh, he's comparing him to this guy. The swing is somewhat similar to Albert Pujols's in terms of of the sweep through the ball. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it and I'm going to wear it. I'm going to wear it. I'm fine with that. I'm I not stopped listening be- after you said Albert Pujols. I just tweeted it. Uh, Jose Miranda, the next Albert Pujols, question mark, question mark, at so, Aram Layton's column. <laughs> so the reason why I'm saying that is is. Pujols is a guy that really tries to hit line drives, right? Like he's line drives that turn into backspun home runs. And it's, it's that sweep through the zone. It's that meeting the ball at this angle that just generates natural backspin. And if you look, I'm going to, I'm going to edit it. I'm going to have Ben Bellotti cut this up and put the swing side by side. It's closer than you think. And I'm not saying he's going to have that kind of ability, 
Uh, but there is a reason why he's a high contact guy who doesn't strike out a lot. That barrel sweeps through the zone. He's a doubles hitter that hits a ton of home runs because he backspins baseballs and he impacts them at 113, 115 miles an hour. I'm all in on Jose Miranda. But again, he's going to be a little bit limited due to the aggressive approach in terms of how consistent he's going to be. But I still think 260 with 30 plus home runs, 270 with 30 plus home runs is, is what you can expect from this guy. So if you have Ben Bellotti cut Jose Miranda and Albert Pujols side by side, I want him cutting Miguel Vargas and Alex Rodriguez side by side as well. Those are, they're similar too. They, they yeah. do look similar. I, I, and again, like I know we talk about like, Oh, that swing is similar. It doesn't mean that they're going to become that guy. It means they have some of the same characteristics that are you know helping them have success with that. Stroke. Nick Gonzalez and Mike Trout. Same thing. Yes. Thank you. Okay. I, I thought you were going to roast me. So that, that's not as bad because people always take that and they're like, well, you're comparing Nick Gonzalez to Mike. No, Trout. God, no, no, God, no, not yet. And we're going to get to Nick Gonzalez in this episode. A couple. Couple episodes. Yeah, this episode. This episode. Oh yeah, slow start by the way. So we'll get there in a second. Cade yeah. Cavalli, a guy that man is he hard to rank. Yeah. Um, Cade Cavalli, big power right hander, uh, first round pick in 2020. 23 years old, maybe some of the most effortless 100 I've ever seen. We saw him at the Futures game. It was a joke how easy the 100 was. Disaster of a spring training. Not a great start. Uh, to his 2022 in AAA either, though a lot of indications would point towards some bad luck, uh, but also just giving up some loud contact. It has not been great for the guy that is probably as close to anybody for me in terms of like an 80 fastball, uh, but obviously the results have, have pushed me away from that. It's an easy 70 fastball. It's nasty stuff. It's a disgusting changeup, a good breaking ball, but he just has no idea where it's going. Yeah. So <laughs> Kate Cavalli is a very interesting prospect to me. Um, and, and we're lower on him than anybody else. Baseball America has That's him at fine. 27. Pipeline has him at 39. Prospectus has him at 19. <laughs> they have him there because he throws a hundred. <laughs> and like, it, again, like you said, it's an easy a hundred and the sliders wipe out, but like a lot of fastball slider guys that are hard and harder, this guy is harder and hardest. Like you said, he has no idea where it's going. I'm very, very worried that he is never going to figure out where it's going because um, we've seen enough guys like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, here's the thing with Cavalli, though. I think you're right. But he has the floor of a closer, you know, and, and that's the thing. He's going to go in there and throw 102 in one inning. And so, you know, that's why I'm comfortably putting him in the top 100 is because you've got a big league arm here and a big league arm for a long time. The command is, is a question as a starter. The command is more than passable as a reliever and he'll be fine in that regard, but the nationals need him to be a starter. They need him to develop. And uh, look, it, he, he jumps dude, quickly, but he's 23. It, it already, it already looks like Rutledge is going to be a reliever too. Like it's, it's looking like Cavalli and Rutledge might both be bullpen guys. And after the Denneberg miss, they so badly needed Rutledge and Cavalli to be starters. I was looking at that actually today, uh, looking at that. Jason Denneberg, is he still playing? Yeah, he, I think he's still playing, but that was, that was a rough pick there. And, and so I, I look at Cavalli's season last year though, guy dominated, but he also dominated through walking, like getting away with walks, right? He, he walked 5.4 batters per nine in double A. That's because he couldn't ride the fastball to prominence. Like he couldn't ride the fastball exclusively to success. He did that in high A and got away with it. Uh, and, you know, was able to just kind of just go heater, 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 heater. And he locates that pitch better. He doesn't have any feel for his secondaries. And, you know, when he had to go to the secondaries more in double A, he struggled with the walks. He was able to pitch around it because, he got the swings and misses, and he still pitched to a 2.79 ERA. But then it's not a coincidence when he gets to AAA, Jack. The zone gets tighter. Guys start hitting fastballs, and he gets to AAA, and he has a 7.3 ERA in 24 and two-thirds innings. Then he goes to spring training. Same drill. Now he's back in AAA. Same drill. The zone gets tighter. The hitters get better, and the fastball cannot be the only thing you use to succeed. The secondary stuff has big-time potential. It's nasty. It looks great but it only looks good or looks can only take you so far. It's got to be in that strike zone and they're nowhere near it for him. He's still a top 100 guy though, because of the upside, because of the fallback of a closer, 
but I feel like we've got this one kind of pegged a little bit better than the industry. And, and like, I, I'm never going to like say, Oh, everybody else is wrong. And we're right. I just feel really good about where we have him compared to everybody else, because I really don't think they're, they're calculating the risk here. Right. And, and we, I think tend to be a bit more risk averse, um, you know, and, and one of the guys that we're going to get to in just a couple uh, is, you know, as risk oriented as you could possibly get, but the tools are off the charts. And that's the deal with Cavalli. The tools are off the charts. The fastball slider, those are yeah, like top five closer in the game right now. Yes. If he became a closer, but where do you put Emmanuel Classe if he's a top 100 prospect right now? I think right around this list, right? Because yeah. you're looking at impact guys. Um, I think you're, you're looking at outside the top 50. And I think Cavalli can be a really good bullpen piece. But how value is a how valuable is a really good bullpen piece? Is it top 50? I'm not sure. I don't have much confidence in Cavalli as a starter. And before we move on from Cavalli, um, I did just look up what Denneberg's going on with. He was on the 60-day IL last year. He might be going through TJ right now. So okay. he might be coming back. But 2019 was his only experience in a minor league ball. It was at the the complex. It was in the GCL. He had a 7.52 ERA across seven appearances, and he hasn't thrown since. So I've got no idea what's going on with Denneberg at the moment. And the Mar- and the uh, Nationals just are not developing their arms very well. <laughs> no. I think that's that's safe to say. But Josiah Gray has looked phenomenal at the big league level. But it was the Dodgers. He wasn't developed by Washington. <laughs> the Dodgers developed him, and they took a. But then you got to know that, know your strengths and weaknesses. And you know, there you go. They they got somebody that that, that can help them now. Uh, someone that could help the the Yankees soon, but you know, has started pretty slow and it's delaying potentially his ETA, which we had pegged to 2022 Oswald Peraza breakout last year had a phenomenal season uh, and really looked like he could be the guy that could get up to the big leagues before Volpe. And, and I know Volpe's the future of the position uh, for the Yankees, but the belief was, okay, maybe Peraza can hold the fourth down and then you move him to second or third or wherever uh, once Volpe is ready. So far in the early going, it is extremely early, but it's been a rough one uh, for Peraza. He's hitting just 143, 236, 245 in AAA. But the encouraging side is, is he's still taking his walks. He's not striking out an egregious amount. And Peraza is always going to give you plus defense and then some, and also good speed. So I look at Peraza. I'm not worried about the slow start. I was very interested to see how he'd come out this season because if he hit really well, and Glaber continues to struggle and, you know, the middle infield is a little bit murky, then you, you could find some more time for Peraza. But right now I think it's clear he needs some more ABs and AAA, uh, but I love the glove. I love the, the breakout and the tools we saw with the bat. And I think the athleticism is very evident in the box. I'm, I'm very excited about Peraza's future and a nice piece that has developed here in the Yankee system. Yeah. Peraza, I think is another guy that needs to needs the weather to warm up. I, I think that's his type of thing. And he had a really hot start in 2021 with Hudson Valley and Hudson Valley. Yes. Is, you know, in New York. So it was cold at the beginning of 2021. Okay. But he hit three Oh six. Um, you know, you can get past that, but you look at 2019, he started the year in Staten Island um, and this guy hit 241. So that's the type of thing that we're looking at um, there. So like, Peraza, yeah, he started 143. He's a career 275 hitter in minor league baseball. I'm not concerned about the batting average at all. He's not, you know, going to have a terrible year. I think the weather needs to warm up, much like what I'm seeing with O'Neill Cruz in Indianapolis right now. Uh-huh. These guys, you know, are, are warm weather people. Um, so they need the weather to warm up. Peraza is a really good defender, like you mentioned. If, if IKF gets hurt, I still think Peraza is the guy at short. I agree. I would rather see Peraza up there than Glaber because here's the thing. It's not like Glaber is giving you some massive offense. Um, and, and Peraza is already a better defender right now. Peraza was a better defender last year. He might've been a better defender two years ago at shortstop. So you know, I, I love that value. He's also quicker. He's like 36 bags, actually 38 bags last year. And 22 of those came in the upper level. So again, you can't really cite the, uh, the rules the in, in the lower levels because he, he stole 22 in the upper level. So I, I like what he brings to the table. Again, he doesn't need to be an impact impact bat to be a good shortstop at the big league level. He could be 275, 20 home runs and swipe some bags. And you've got a well above average everyday shortstop. 
Correct. Uh, and this could also turn into a Trevor Story situation where Story, I'm not, again, I'm not saying Peraza is going to be Trevor Story, but Trevor Story functioned as the stopgap between Troy Tulowitzki and Brendan Rogers at short, right? Tulo left Colorado drafts Rogers the next year. And Story was the guy that was supposed to buy Brendan Rogers' time as he got there. That's what we're looking at with the Peraza Volpe situation. So Volpe is going to be the shortstop. IKF is the guy right now. I think if IKF struggles or gets hurt or you want to move IKF somewhere else just because of a depth thing and you know IKF can play everywhere, Peraza, at the worst case, can be a fine stopgap, can be a Taylor Walls between Adamas and Juan DeFranco. And then get Volpe up and, and we're good. And Peraza can either be a great bat off your bench, he can be a great trade chip if you need to go fill a hole, or he can turn into a second baseman if you're ready to move off a labor. A hundred percent. I'm with you. And, and I'm very excited to see, you know, how the Yankees handle that. But I think Peraza is really forcing his way up there. And again, slow start, but I think he's going to get going. And the power is interesting too, because we're starting to see that continue to tick up. The exit velos have been impressive at times. And uh, he's a guy that has a little bit of movement to his swing, but he's such a good athlete. He repeats it all well. And uh, I think he's going to be a good big leaguer for some time. Could be a trade chip as well, though. You know, I really do think that's a possibility. Uh, moving in to the next guy who literally was a trade chip, uh, 54, Brandon Williamson, now with the Cincinnati Reds. And this is a guy, unequivocally, I can tell you, we have higher than everybody else in the world. Uh, and he's off to a bit of a slow start. But again, I, I think you really have to factor in new organization, part of a big trade, and it's three starts uh, to begin this year. It really was one bad start that makes the numbers look poor, but the command has been really iffy for Brandon Williamson in the early going, which is interesting because he seemed to have made big time strides in that regard last year. Uh, but Williamson, a lefty with fantastic stuff, a good fastball deception. And I- I'm going to die on this hill with him because I am a big Brandon Williamson fan. Uh, obviously the centerpiece in the deal that brought Jesse Winker over to Seattle along with a Eugenio Suarez. Not a great start for Williamson in the command department, but man, this guy can get strikeouts and get strikeouts in droves. Yeah. When you say not a great start in the command department, that's 13 innings and 11 walks. Yeah. Um, that's not good. No. Williamson, 6'6", 210. He is a big, lanky guy. And you're right. Unequivocally, we have him higher than anybody else. We've got him at 54 here. Uh, he's 83 in Baseball America and outside the top 100 on Pipeline and Prospectus. So there you yeah. go. Williamson, I, I find him very interesting mechanically. Um, <laughs> what do you see with him mechanically? Because I see a guy that the curveball is the best pitch. You mentioned that uh, in the write-up. You know, you, you see a 60 grade on the curveball right now. I see a guy that, you know, comes over the top, uses all six, six of his frame and spins that thing off like nobody's business. He's literally yanking that thing down from above your head to your shoelaces. And that thing is dropping like a rock. That's kind of the problem. (laughs) It's really hard to locate that. It almost breaks too much. And, And you see that a lot with guys with really good breaking balls. Even Matt Brash is struggling with command at the big league level because it breaks out of the zone. Guys are shutting it down. They know they can't hit it. They spit on it. And if you're not locating it for a called strike, it's a challenge. But what why I believe in Williamson is he has an assortment of pitches he can go at you with. The fastball, like I said, really plays up. He's got a slider as well that flashes above average to plus and a good changeup. So if he's struggling with this command out of the gate, mix and match. Use your other pitches. Like we saw Mackenzie Gore last year. And I know it was a little bit more than just command. It was, it was a lot going into it, but Mackenzie Gore was a guy that, you know, was struggling to locate his breaking ball. Okay. Go to the slider a bit more than the curveball. go to the changeup a bit more. Like he has an assortment of pitches to go to mix and match and see what you're commanding better to get through. And, and I think that's exactly what we'll see Williamson do. Fangraphs has Williamson at 63. So I think they're closest to, to us in terms of the ranking there. And I think it's because they like his pitches across the board. The first start was rough. He's been better since in terms of limiting damage, but again, the walks. So it was four innings, two walks in his first start, ironically, gives up five earned runs. Second start, he goes five innings, one earned run, but four walks. And then his last start, four innings, one earned run, but five walks. So there's definitely an issue right there. And and I think, you know, again, a little bit of it has to be probably new environment, uh, early start. Let's see what happens. But 
I, I still really believe in Williamson. The fastball plays up because of that release point, like you talk about. And then the, the three secondary pitches that I think are all flashing above average with the, the curveball already plus. I'm going to bet on a guy like that. Six, six lefties can get out of whack pretty easily, but yeah. they can also recapture it. And uh, look, they, the Reds did a great job with Nick Lodolo, a tall lefty who, you know, they didn't know how the command would be and it turned into a strength of his. So hopefully they can do the same with Brandon Williamson. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I don't know what's, I don't know what that's about. Like I've heard Chattanooga, Tennessee is a lovely place. I've heard it's growing. It's got a nice downtown. He's probably getting sound sleep at night. I'm not sure what's going on there, but you're probably right. It's this acclimation process that is probably just a little bit slower for him because this is a guy that, you know, grinded. And then all of a sudden this trade came out of nowhere and, and it's okay. Time to get up, time to move cross country. That's a West coast team with all their affiliates on the West coast. And now you got to go to Tennessee. And he also struck out less than three batters or sorry. He walked less than three batters per nine last year. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't a huge issue. He also struck out 37.4% of batters. So yeah, again, hopefully, like you said, it's just an acclimation uh, and, and hopefully he'll get going soon. Maybe it's the clay on the mount. You know, maybe it's the actual dirt. Maybe he's digging his toe in and he just doesn't have it right. Who knows? It's baseball is that freaking weird. Yes. Uh, coming in is a guy that's finally getting it going a little bit, but not a great start for Nick Gonzalez. I don't, I don't know. Double A is it cold? Where, where is he? Altoona, Altoona, Pennsylvania. They got a roller coaster in right field. Oh, so maybe that's distracting him. Now we're just going to make excuses yeah. for, for every Damn. Guy. Oh, I saw O'Neal, ride the roller coaster. O'Neal sent one off that 120 off that roller coaster. Uh, I remember watching that uh, clip back. It's a, a wooden bit. coaster too. I'm shocked that thing didn't go down with a BB yeah, like that. With an O'Neal BB just taking down the foundation like Angry Birds style. Uh, this is a player that I look again, another guy that I'll, I'll die on the Nick Gonzalez. So I, I had the pleasure of watching him day in and day out in the Cape Cod league. And it was, it was incredible to see how easy this guy made hitting look. His hands are insane. Uh, he has for what is not a huge frame, 5'10, 195, 200 pounds, some of the most insane bat speed and, and raw power. It's really easy, raw power for him. I watched him with a wood bat go dead center 420 flick the ball the other way for a home run over the right field wall and go to pull side easily. Uh, last year was a bit inconsistent because he dealt with some injuries. Uh, but even when he came back, finished extremely strong, still hit 18 home runs in 80 games. Uh, but so far at the double a level, it's just, he, he's just been a little bit inconsistent, a ton of walks and a ton of strikeouts. And uh, I, I'm interested to see how Nick Gonzalez gets acclimated because this is a guy who's hit tool. I would bet on, uh, but I know a lot of evaluators are starting to scale back their perspective on his high-end hit tool. Yeah. You know what, you know, what tells me a lot is the fact that you saw him every day and didn't get jaded and didn't start to pick out the weaknesses, you know, like that tells you if he was consistently good for an entire summer, that tells you all you got to know. And I think that's the beauty of what we do. We're constantly watching these guys on an everyday basis and if there's nothing to turn us off of them as a prospect on an everyday basis, you know, they're so damn sound. A lot of people are higher on some people that I've been around um, than, than I am because, you know, you're around them. It's like, you know, you, you pick out all the flaws with your roommate in college um, just because you're around them. You see all the things that start to nag you. you. You pick out all the weaknesses because you get jaded by the strengths. And if you were never jaded by the strengths and if you could never locate a weakness, then that tells me all I got to know about this guy. He is a sound hitter and he's going to figure shit out. I, you talk to anybody that played against him in the Cape, you know, they all were like, this guy is just different. Um, you talk to all of his teammates in the Cape, they'll say the same thing. But the thing that really gives me confidence in Nick Gonzalez, this guy was a walk-on in New Mexico state. Uh, he's just hit at every single level. Uh, people doubted, you know, they're like, Oh, it was the environment, you know, like, Oh, he was just, you know, playing on the moon over there and in, in, in the whack. Uh, then he goes to the Cape and wins Cape player of the year. Uh, it just absolutely yeah. demolished really good pitching with a wood bat. What I really like about Nick Gonzalez is the way he carries himself is I'd get to the game early. You know, I'm watching, I'm watching this guy take batting practice and, you know, all these other guys are hitting nukes and just trying to like, you know, go tape measure shots. Gonzalez has this whole plan up there. Uh, and then he's going through all of his progressions. And then 
he goes on and, you know, is, is talking about the mental side of things. And that was one of my favorite guys to talk to before the game. Cause I've never seen someone so even keel uh, when it's going well, when it's going poorly, it usually goes well for him. Uh, but that's why like with these early struggles, I'm not worried about somebody like Nick Gonzalez. And uh, even when he's going poorly, he still takes his walks. He still spoils the tough pitches. And like right now, it's a bad start for him. And it's still a one Oh six WRC plus. Cause he's getting on base at a three eighty clip. So I think he's going to figure it out. I think he's going to be just fine. And like you said, I mean, uh, I, I've got getting to watch him day in and day out. The only, the only thing I could pick at with him is the arm strength, but he plays second base. So who cares? Yeah. I'm with you. I'm, I'm excited to get him out here to Indy. If, if he performs at Altoona, he'll get out to Indy. I'm excited to watch him every day. And listen, like if I can't find anything either at, at the AAA level, I think I'm good. I'm ready to latch on with you. A hundred percent. And it's a little bit of zone swing and miss. If there's anything, and it's because his swing, you talk about the similarities to, to Mike Trout. That's that's Mike Trout's zone swing and miss on elevated fastballs is, is not great. Like he, he swings and misses through elevated fastballs. He tries to lay off that because that's the way his swing is geared for. Then Gonzalez is still kind of feeling out the best way to utilize, you know, his strengths and, you know, not give in to his weaknesses, which is elevated heaters. So he's just got to lay off those a little bit more. And Mike Trout's become the best in baseball at laying off those elevated heaters. That's part of the reason why he's so good beyond just the natural gift that he has to play baseball. Uh, speaking of natural gift, got to be maybe the most gifted guy in the minors. I, I would venture to say he could be the most gifted guy in the minors. Ellie De La Cruz, shortstop, <laughs> Cincinnati Reds. Talk about a guy that we, you teased him earlier. We've got him way up there. And uh, look, this could go anyway. This, this could go, he doesn't make it above double A. This could go, he wins multiple MVPs. And because that there's a feasible scenario where he wins multiple MVPs, I'm putting this damn dude at 52 on our top 100 list. I, I, I don't know what to say. Like if he turns out he's a Cunha, he's, he's 99 power. He's 99 speed. That is, he's a creative player. He's as close to creative player as minor league baseball has right now. Um, he can play a fine defense. It's short or third. I have no idea where he's going to be. Um, he, he swings and misses right now. That's his problem. And you have a 30 grade at the <laughs> present with a 45 future yeah. on the hit, but you got 60, 70 on the raw power and a 70, 70 runner. That's who he is. He is 99 power, 99 speed. And we'll see if this shit pans out for him. And Oh, by the way, he's a switch hitter because that's how you create your video game characters. And Oh, by the way, you talk about updating the, uh, the strength in updating the, uh, the, the weight, I guess, and measurables and all that stuff. He was last listed at, I believe it was six foot one fifty five. <laughs> He's now listed at six, five, 200. There He's we 20 go. years old. He signed for $65,000 international free agency. There's a lot of similarities to O'Neill Cruz in terms of just this guy that keeps growing every time you see him, but still is able to do things that you wouldn't expect somebody with like a small forwards build. And, and that's the amazing thing about it. Uh, he's six, five, 200 and still has more room to add strength. You know what the other nutty part is? It's like you mentioned, he's a, he's a plus plus runner. I, I've never seen somebody take three strides and be at the next base. It's unbelievable. I was watching his triples. He had several last year and it was like, he got from, from home to third, and it seemed like nine steps. He flies. And honestly, I might have to update the raw power future to 80, who, which would put him with O'Neill Cruz as the only guy that has potentially 80 raw power. He's 6'5", 200. He has way more room to fill out. So even if he slows down a tick, he's got crazy raw power. Look, there's swing and miss there, no doubt about it. And he's striking out right now at 38% of the time in high A. But he's 20 years old, just turned 20. He has three home runs already, five stolen bases. And what I love is he's a switch hitter with absurd, absurd power has already put up one thirteens, one fourteens, which is stupid because he's going to get stronger. And as I've said time and time again, he is everything Jason Dominguez was supposed to be. And guess Correct. who's still not in high a Jason Dominguez. So Correct. if you kept Ellie de la Cruz in low a, he'd be lighting it up. I can promise you, but he's in high a striking out because the reds want to challenge him and I'm cool with it. Yeah, so both those guys, Dominguez and Ellie De La Cruz, are like the closest thing that we have to Sid Finch, right? The, the one that you hear all these crazy stories about. And it's like, oh, this guy hit one 595 feet uh, and it was snowing that day. And like, it's that's what Ellie De La Cruz is. And that's what he's going to be until he gets to Chattanooga. And that's what he's going to be. You know, 
when this guy does make his MLB debut, um, you know, we'll see what he looks like. And I, I think that it's pretty far away. What do you have his ETA at right now? 2024. I'd think, say 25. Yeah. Because I think he's going to spend the entire year in high A and then he's still going to be what? 21 years old next year in double A in 2023. I think he's full year each stop. And I think he can get up with the Reds in 2025. Absolutely. And this is another guy that's playing in the Midwest. And like I was watching games, he's like fully turtlenecked up all the way to his nose. Uh, yeah. Just and, and he's a super loose swinger. But the one thing that I want to look at with Dilla Cruz and the thing to follow is super long limbs and just struggles to, to kind of control his whole lower half and control his body as he continues to get better with that. This guy, he doesn't even need to be that great of a hitter. He could be a 40 hitter and he's still an all star. So Dilla Cruz is one of my favorite names to watch moving forward. And one of the guys that I'm, I'm definitely looking to, to collect uh, once his cards are alive. And, and we're going to talk about that really quickly at the end. Uh, like yeah. some of the cards that we're looking to pick up out of the names we talked about, because Dilla Cruz is, is kind of a penny stock respectfully, but yeah. could pay off big uh, coming in at number 51. The last guy we're going to talk about real quick, uh, a guy that really uh, I think is going to be one of the safest bets to be a middle of the rotation kind of starter. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Texas Rangers need him badly. They, they could probably use him right now, uh, but there's no reason to rush him because their team stinks. Uh, yep. Cole Wynn, right-handed pitching prospect in the Rangers organization, former first rounder in 2018, 15th overall, still only 22 years old. He's 6'2", 190. Talk about a balanced arsenal across the board, plus fastball, uh, above average flashing plus curveball, above average slider, and a changeup that already flashes above average, and above average command. It's just safe, consistent, and the numbers back it up last year between double and triple, 86 innings, 241 ERA, 3-3 FIP, 0.86 whip, 32% K rate, 9% walk rate. I'll bet my life on this guy being a decent big league starter. Yeah, uh, well, you mentioned it. The, the Rangers are sparse so decent big league starters at the moment. And I think this was a guy that really capitalized on 2020. Um, 2019, he was in low A and, and he had a 4 5 ERA. 2021, he comes back and he's striking out 11 guys per night. So that, that's who Cole Wynn is. Um, I think this is a guy that put in a shit ton of work during his age 20 year in 2020. Um, and he came back in 2021 and carved. And he's got a 2-2 ERA in Round Rock right now. The strikeout numbers aren't necessarily there at the moment. He's got 15 punch outs and 16 and third through his first four starts. But, you know, I, I'm with you. If there's somebody on this list that is a high floor starting pitcher, it's Cole Wynn. A, a, of the people that we have talked about, it's Cole Wynn. A hundred percent. And you know what's funny is, is I think I, I made a note of it. I'm actually pulling it up right now of like what I said in the TLDR for him because – I wanted to say, just because we're saying high floor, don't mistake that for compromised ceiling. Yeah, it's actually exactly what I said. A good fastball with feel for three secondaries. One is win is one of the safer arms in the top 100, but don't mistake that for a limited ceiling. Uh, that, that's exactly what I would have said just now. <laughs> what, I was, what I was about to say is he still has number two upside, I think. Like, he, yes. if, if the slider continues to, to progress, if the change continues to progress, and the command is where we think it can be, you've got two plus pitches, two above average pitches and above average command. That is like Shane Bieber-esque. Uh, yeah, no, I, listen, I will sign up for a four pitch mix any day of the week. And he's young and he's young. So I, I'm a big fan of Cole Wynn. He's one of those guys that look at his name and it's just like, ah, I don't have to worry about that guy that much. Yeah. You know, like I don't have to worry about this take aging poorly. Like I, I just feel good about him and a good build 6'2", 190, 195. I think Colwyn is as safe as it gets. I also forgot that today's a Thursday episode, so we can save the uh, the eBay discussion, the baseball card discussion for the Friday episode, right? Perfect. Let's do it. So to wrap up on these guys, who do you feel like could make the biggest leap this year? Not could. Who do you think will make the biggest? Because could is Ellie Dilla Cruz. It could be the number one prospect in baseball by the end of the year. <laughs> who will make the biggest leap? Uh, by the time we do the midseason update out of the names we watch. And who are you most excited to watch? That could be two different things. Yeah, so I, I actually have the same answer for both of those, and I think it's Kyle Harrison. Um, I, I think Kyle Harrison is my guy. I, I think that when Lodolo graduates, there's a chance that he's the top left-handed pitching prospect in all of baseball. Um, so I, I think that's the guy that that we're going to see jump. Um, and you mentioned the command numbers so far this year, the the strikeout numbers are absurd at the moment and he's not walking anybody. If he keeps doing that, 
I'm telling there are there are a few things that I fall in love with, like how I fall in love with how fastballs and changeups parlay off of each other. And I mentioned it. This guy, he is the king in minor league baseball at at working a changeup off of a good fastball, working a great changeup off of a great fastball. And, so, and yeah. What organization is the king of of identifying and developing those guys? San Francisco, beautiful San Francisco. So I love it. I'm with you. And to wrap up real quick, if you're not following along with the top 100 prospect list, that's live on just baseball.com and you know, you're driving or commuting or whatever. This was the rundown again. It's Michael Harris at 60, Taj Bradley at 59, Kyle Harrison at 58, Jose Miranda at 57, Kate Cavalli at 56, Oswald Peraza at 55, Brandon Williamson at 54. Please pitch better so I don't look bad. Nick yep. Gonzalez at 53, Ellie De La Cruz at 52, and Cole Wynn at 51. A little teaser for tomorrow's episode. We will start with someone Jack saw a good deal of and another guy who could have a major ascension, Andy Pajes of the yes. Dodgers. I love Andy Pajes. Very fun group for tomorrow's episode. And all I'll say is if you're a Dodgers fan, you definitely got to tune in because there's three Dodgers in tomorrow's yeah. collection of 10 prospects. Yeah. Jack, any final thoughts? Uh, this was a good crop of guys. I enjoyed doing this one because it had a great mix of of the Jose Miranda's and the Nick Gonzalez's of the world that are high floor. Um, it, Cole Wynn, high floor. Yeah. And then anytime I get to talk about Ellie De La Cruz because you keyed me into him this offseason and I watched video and I was like, this feels like Bruno Caballo for the NBA draft, but so much better. You know what I mean? <laughs> like moon landing type grainy footage. Um, and, and Fran Fraschilla calling him the Brazilian Kevin Durant that's two years away from being two years away. But, oh, my God, if he's the Brazilian Kevin Durant, I'm all the way in. I'm in. <laughs> that's I'll, what Ellie De La Cruz is. I'm going to sign up for that. And, and you know what the best part is? It's only going to get better and better because we're going – we're counting down. So it's right. going to be really fun. It's funny. For, for transparency, the last thing I'll say is, you know, we talked about it before because you, know, you had – a crazy schedule given that you were a minor league play-by-play broadcaster and we wanted to get an episode out. And I was like, should I just do it by myself? And you're like, yeah, go ahead. Like you can, you can do that by, by yourself and run through the 10. And then I pull up the names and I was like, you're going to be mad if I do this without you, you're going to love all these names. So we're like, we'll figure it out. Uh, so I'm glad we figured it out. And then uh, tomorrow, a lot of Dodgers and a lot of fun names I'm excited about as well. So we will talk to you then. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.